welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 22nd of July 2012, entitled Stretch Out Again, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 35. Here's Brother Luke Guadano. Well, it's good to be here this morning, and uh, I really do count it a privilege to be with you again, and it's good to see uh, the church, good to see the church uh, uh, growing, and it's good to see. Uh, it's really good to see some some young folks. I got a chance to go to a little get together yesterday, and we had a lot of fun uh, goofing around. And uh, um, brother uh, Curtis mentioned uh, that w- uh, me and my brother are, are working together with my dad. And in our church, we've got a lot of young folks. We've got uh, a lot of little children, and we've got a lot of young adults. And our church has really uh, changed a lot in the last probably five years. Uh, just as uh, the folks that are 20 and so have uh, grown up. And um, that's a blessing. And it's a blessing to see that here. And I want to just encourage you. Uh, also, uh, Brother Curtis mentioned that we just got into a new building. And uh, really, that is a result of a lot of the young folks uh, pulling together and uh, being able to get that done. And so uh, you need both sides in the church. Uh, the, the young folks give a little bit of, uh, a little bit of pep, a little bit of energy to the church. Uh, the older folks give wisdom. And so sometimes we bump into each other and uh, we, we aggravate each other, but uh, realize we need both. And so I want to encourage you, uh, our church was, was really at a plateau for a number of years where it seemed like we couldn't grow, we couldn't move beyond where we were. And it was all of a sudden when that young spark be able to came in and started to, to go is when we were able to go really to the next level. And so I want to encourage you that way that uh, the Lord is doing something here. And uh, if you hang in there, that uh, I believe that the Lord will do something great in this church. This is a rarity. Uh, you need to, uh, I said in the Sunday school hour, you need to be thankful for your preacher. You need to be thankful for your church. Uh, this is unusual. Uh, I've traveled a lot uh, in this country, in Scotland, and uh, you don't find a place like this where I feel just at home and, and the Holy Spirit, and uh, really you've, you've, you're blessed. Throughout all of Europe, there's not too many places that you can say uh, that God is really working and, and people are uh, walking close to the Bible. So, so realize what you have. Be thankful for what you have. So uh, I'm going to sing you a song that... Uh, uh, it's been a while since I've sung it, and I hope with my American accent you can understand the words. You need to listen to the words. Uh, this song was written by a man that I know who's a terrific songwriter, Gary Duty, and uh, you need to pray for him. Uh, the Lord is uh, doing some things in his life right now, but uh, uh, pray for him. But he was a terrific songwriter, and uh, he wrote a song called He Calmed the Storm, talking about the Lord. Of course, he calmed the storm on the sea. But uh, in his mind, in the songwriter's mind, if you go to the, to the verses previous to where he calmed the storm, uh, he, he uh, uh, well, just, I should say just after he calmed the storm, he goes on to that place, the Gadarenes, where the, the, he meets that man that comes out with the legion. And so in the songwriter's mind, when Jesus calms the storm, that that man with the devils, is he's, he's kind of standing up there watching what has taken place out on the water. And so he realized that there's, that there's something about the man that calmed the storm. That's kind of what the song is about. From the tomb I could see midst the lightning and thunder 
A tiny ship about to go under And I laughed as they tried in vain Rough waters to foam Something happened then I'll never forget And still don't quite understand But a man in the boat Would keep them afloat With just a wave of his hand He calmed the storm On the sea that was raging Still the tempest that nature was waging Against their battered form There came a peace Angry winds were silent The water lay still that once was so violent There's something about the man who calmed the storm Many times they would try but no one could tame me Even chains could never contain me I'd run to the cold dark tomb And dwell there alone Till the man on board the boat came ashore Who had calmed the storm on the sea At his feet I would fall Cause I knew he could calm The storm that was raging in me He calmed the storm In my heart that was raging Still the tempest that Satan was waging Against this battered form There came a peace Angry voices grew silent Such a calm man that once was so violent I'll never forget the man who calmed the storm I wanted to go and be by his side Cause there's no place I'd rather be But until that day he wants me to stay And tell what he's done for me He calmed the storm In my heart that was raging Still the tempest that Satan was waging Against this battered form There came a peace Angry voices grew silent Such a calm man that once was so violent I'll never forget the man who calmed the storm He calmed the storm There's a, a lot of meaning to that song. Um, many of us really... Uh, had a battle, had a battle with sin, had a battle with the devil before we were saved. And I think a lot of us can say that, that uh, the Lord calmed the storm in our life. If you're here this morning and that battle is still raging and you don't have peace and you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I want to tell you, He wants to calm the storm in your life. He loves you dearly. And um, um, I come from a preacher's home.
And, uh, you know, I, I was saved as a young boy, and um, some things happened in my life, and, and uh, I kind of got in a, in a bad way. My brother, my younger brother, uh, was a wild man. You know, he, uh, he was never saved until he was, uh, uh, you know, a mature man. And, uh, and the Lord has dealt in his life and saved him miraculously and wonderfully. And so uh, I don't know where you're at this morning. You may be a Christian struggling. Uh, you may be uh, walking with the Lord and having sweet fellowship. You may be here and lost without God. But uh, there's something here for you this morning, and we're going to go um, to the text this morning in Second Kings, 2 Kings, uh, chapter 4. And uh, I just want to be a blessing to you this morning, and I'm going to just try to give you my heart. And um, the Lord has really used this chapter to challenge me and... Um, I want to be an encouragement this morning. So uh, let's read the text verse that uh, uh, the preacher had put up uh, on the, the board there. Uh, 2 Kings 4, and we'll look in verse 35. Then he returned and walked in the house, talking about Elisha, to an, uh, house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself. And I want you to really focus on that phrase this morning. Upon him, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, I just want to pray one more time, Lord, before I preach to your people. Lord, there's so many different people here this morning, um, all different ages, Lord, many different cultures. There's no way that I could know possibly, Lord, how to encourage them, Lord, what they need. But you know, Lord, and I pray that you would just empty me of myself. Help me to be, Lord, a clean vessel in your sight. Help me, Lord, to uh, just be able to communicate your truths. Lord, open the word of God before us this morning. And Lord, I do pray if there's one that's here lost without God, that they realize their need for a, sa- a, a, a Savior, Lord, and they turn from their sin, Lord, and they turn towards you this morning and be saved in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's back up a little bit. Let's go back in the chapter, and uh, we're going to read a, a bunch of this story. I hope that you're not uh, worried about that. We're going to go back to, uh, uh, let's go back to uh, maybe about verse 18. Uh, many of you know the story, that, what is taking place here, but I always challenge our folks back home, pay attention to the Word of God. Pay attention to what's going on. Try to put yourself in, in the place of the people that are, are, are here. So many times we just read over things, and it's just a story to us, and blah, 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 and we just go on. But we need to really meditate. The Bible promised to, to bless Bible meditators. You check it out. Not just Bible readers. There's a difference between meditating on the Word of God and just reading it. And so we want to do that this morning. Um, and so uh, here... We have this woman, and, and uh, let me back up. I'm going to back up some more. Let me go back up to maybe uh, verse 8. Uh, uh, basically, there's a, it fell on a day. The Bible says that Elisha passed to Shunem. There was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. And, and so it was, as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. And it fell on a day that he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. And he said to Gehazi his servant, Call this Shumanite. And, what he had, uh, and, and when he had called her, she stood before him. Verse 13. And he said unto him, Say now unto her, Behold, thou hast been careful for us with all this care. 
What is to be done for thee? Wouldst thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this time, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. And she said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaiden. She's basically saying, Don't get my hopes up. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine that. Uh, but, you know, you think of the situation that's here. And, and all of a sudden she's saying, don't lie to me. Don't, don't even say that. You know, and, and, but he's serious. And he's saying, this is going to happen. And, and we see in verse 17, and the woman conceived and bare a son at the season that Elisha had said unto her, according to the time of life. So she knew it was from God. She knew this was a supernatural thing, and uh, this was a special child. Verse 18, and when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said unto his father, my head, my head, and he said to a lad, carry him to his mother, and when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Think about that situation. Think about the anguish. Think about, here's this woman who wasn't asking for anything. Matter of fact, she tells uh, Elisha, I dwell among my own people. She's not asking, kind of like, you know, I, I admire Queen Esther. She, you know, they said, what would you have? And, and she said, I don't need all of this. And what a, what a great woman. What a great example. And, and yet, uh, the man of God says, this is going to happen and a son is born. She loves this. And that's the miracle baby. That's the miracle child. She loves that child. I mean, words cannot describe. And then this tragedy happens in her life. And again, this is what I mean by not just going over the scriptures and just passing on by. Think about what that woman went through. Think about Having a sick child, every mother that you know has had children knows what it's like to have a child with a fever at night and worrying about that child, praying for that child. We've had some kids very sick. I've got four, and the Lord's blessed us with that. But I know my wife is really, I mean, there's been times where dad goes to sleep at night, but mom stays up, and she's praying for that baby. And yet here she sees this anguish, anguish and and looks at that child, and in a moment, that child's gone, right, right in her very arms. There's a good friend of mine. He's uh, a young man, about 10 years younger than me, and uh, he lost his three-year-old uh, daughter in a terrible car wreck. He's a missionary on deputation, great, great family. And sometimes you wonder, Lord, what are you doing at times like that? But he talked to me on the phone, and, and uh, I mean, he told me, he said, he said I was there, and... and uh, I was there with her, he says, during that accident. He says, I watched her take her last breath. And you think about that. You think about what it is to lose a child and to be able to just witness that. And it's never an easy thing. And sometimes I think we don't realize what is happening in the life of somebody else. We think that our problems are unique. We think that nobody has it worse than us. We think that certainly these people in the Bible didn't go through things like I go through. They had something that I didn't have. 
But yet, people in the Bible went through all that we go through and more. And they have the same God that pulls them through. But here's this mother, a godly woman, a good woman, and she's going through this. And so she takes the child and she, she lays him on the bed of the man of God. And she shuts the door upon him and went out. She called unto her husband, remember he's old, and said, send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it shall be well. Here's the man again. Sometimes men are just, I think, I think we're just <laughs> dense. Has no idea of what's going on. And is just, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to see the man of God for? It's, it's not a holiday. It's not Easter. It's not Christmas. Why do you want to, why do you want to go? And, and she just, she doesn't say anything to him. She just says, I'm going to the man of God. I know where I can find help. And she, and, and she goes. Um, then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forth. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. And so, Think about this. She gets on this beast, this woman, and says, ride as hard as you can. And again, these are not young people. I mean, read the scriptures. This is like a five or six hour, you know, donkey journey across some rough terrain. And, and think about that situation. But she says, go, go to the man of God. Verse 25. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And notice what the woman says. And she answered, It is well. Here's this woman going through everything that she went through. And what does she say to Gehazi? It is well. I've often meditated on that, and I thought, was it really well with her heart? I'm sure her heart was in anguish. But the reason why I think that she said it is well to Gehazi is because we know who Gehazi is. The Lord has given us that in the Word of God. We know what Gehazi is interested in. Anyone know the story of Gehazi, how later he takes the, the money from Naaman and the change of clothes, and remember he gets the leprosy? What is Gehazi interested in? Is he, is he a, is, does he love the Lord? Is that, you know, is he going to wait on Elisha like Elisha waited on Elijah? Absolutely not. He's got an ulterior motive. When I really think, did Gehazi care for that woman? I think no. I don't think he cared about her at all. He asked her a question, and you know what? She gave him an answer. It is well. Why? Because why waste your time with Gehazi? Why tell someone something to someone if they don't care, so many times there's people that come to us, they're going through trouble, but they won't share with us what's on the inside. Why? Because they don't think that we care. That's convicting. I used to have an Aunt Rosie. She's uh, uh, dead and gone now, and I do believe she asked the Lord to save her and uh, pray for her husband. He's not saved, my uncle. But she's just a blunt person. And uh, in New York, they're pretty blunt. But Aunt Rosie was blunt even for New Yorkers. And my dad, I remember her, him asking her one day, how you doing, Aunt Rosie? And she said, you don't care. Why are you even asking me? 
And my dad said, I had to think about it. Do, do I really want to know? Do I really care? You know how when you say that, you just, you're just welcoming somebody and you really don't want to hear all of their problems and all that. And people know that. And so here is this woman. She's not going to waste time with Gehazi. He doesn't care about her. Um, and so she comes to the man of God, verse 27. And when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet. And notice what Gehazi does again. Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, let her alone. For her soul is vexed with her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Gehazi has no idea what's going on. He has no clue. He's got no discernment. And and again, the challenge to us is, do I have discernment? Can I see when someone is is going through it? You know, it's Sunday, and people are walking through. Or am I coming to church just looking for what I can get, thinking about my problems, thinking about my life? Or am I looking across the way and, and looking for that look in someone's eyes, saying, boy, they are... They're going through it this morning. Something is not right with that person this morning. And guys especially. You know, we, I'm going to challenge you guys. I'm a guy. I know how we are. We are many times selfish. Many times we, we are just one-track minded, and we don't pay attention to what's going on. Sometimes even with our wives. We don't realize sometimes what people are going through, and we need to wake up. We need to pay attention. Thank God there's an Elisha. Thank God there's someone that, has some discernment, and, and he cares for this woman. And uh, uh, thank God for my father, who, who, who cares for us and who has cared for our congregation for so many years. Thank God for your preacher, who, who really does care. Um, that's, a, that's a rare uh, thing in today's world. But here uh, in verse 28, Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And she's asking him, why, 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 why is this happening to me? I didn't ask for this. Then he said to Gehazi, gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand. Go thy way. If thou meet a man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again. And lay my staff upon the face of the child. He gives Gehazi orders. He tells him, don't delay, don't get sidetracked. This is exactly what you do. And, and he sends him. Um, and the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. There's that woman again. I'm not going with him. <laughs> he doesn't care a lick. She knows he's not spiritual. She knows he ain't got God on him. And she says, I'm staying with you. And the man of God says, okay, I'll, I'm going to go with you. And he goes on. And uh Next, what happens, verse 31, Gehazi passed on before them. So he gets out ahead and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awake. So he goes to the child. He does what the man of God told him to do, but no more. He stops at that, and then he comes back. And I see a lot of things, a lot of application here. Because uh, sometimes we as fellowship, we as someone that are given orders, sometimes we may do what is told of us. The Bible says that if all you do is what you're told, you're still unprofitable stewards. That we are supposed to go above and beyond. And so many times... Uh, just in practicality in the world today, you could tell somebody, uh, do a job, I want you to uh, paint this wall over here. They'll go over there and they'll find out, well, I ran out of paint. So I did what I was supposed to do, 
But then that was it. And, and they don't have it in them to say, well, if I run out of paint, I'm going to get more. Gehazi here, he's going and he's doing what he's supposed to do, but he does nothing more. There's no effect, and that's it. And then, and then you see the man of God. You see the other side. You, ha- you have the leadership here who he gives an order, but not only does he give an order, he is making sure that things are carried out and he makes sure that things are going to happen the way God wants them to happen, and he doesn't just abandon that situation. A lot of times, uh, even in the church, and I'm talking about uh, assistants and Sunday school teachers and different things, and and all of us, uh, whether you're a father or a mother, we're all in some kind of leadership position, but sometimes what we do is we may delegate a responsibility, we say, okay, do this, and we, we hand off to the fellowship, they go and, and do maybe what they, we told them to do, maybe not, but what we're, the desired effect doesn't happen. And we don't follow up. We don't make sure the job gets done. We don't make sure the people are getting cared for. And we need to make sure that people get cared for. We need to make sure that we, you know, close those loose ends. Don't just, don't just uh, you know, give an order and say, well, it's off my plate. To have the responsibility. Elisha was a man that had responsibility. He says, I'm going to make sure that this woman is taken care of. That is the preacher's heart. And again, I'm not just talking about the preacher. You understand that. I'm talking about uh, assistants. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers. I'm talking about fathers and mothers. We all have that responsibility. And so Gehazi comes back. Uh, It doesn't, you know, nothing happens. Uh, He sees that the child, uh, uh, verse 32 And when Elisha was come into the house, (coughs) behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And it's the worst situation that Elisha could could, could possibly find. That indeed, all that he was told, it wasn't that the child was sick, wasn't that the child was in a coma, wasn't that the child was sleeping, the child was indeed dead. And it was as bad as it could be. And... uh, you know, sometimes uh, we, we're looking and we're hoping and we're praying that it's not bad, but sometimes we get there and it's as bad as it can be. And what to do? What to do in that situation? We see what the man of God does. Verse uh, 33, he went in, therefore, and he shut the door upon them twain. And what does he do? Prayed unto the Lord. Your preacher said, we're not going to do too good without prayer. He's right. You know, prayer, there's a song that uh, our group sings back home. It's called, Prayer is Just as Big as, as God Is. That's some of the words of the song. Prayer is just as big as God is. Think, of, think about that. Uh, prayer, you know, can, can reach as far as God can reach. And, and that's the truth, and we have that. But do we go to the Lord? Do we, do we, do we pray in the worst of situations, sometimes in the worst of situations, we're inclined not to pray. We're inclined to think inward and, and not look to God and say, uh, Lord, Lord, we've got this bad situation. And, and when we're dealing with somebody else, so many times uh, as a father or we're dealing with somebody or are dealing with our child and, and we see it's a bad situation. And uh, instead of going to Lord in prayer and saying, Lord, this is too big for me and it's as bad as it can be. And Lord, give me wisdom and help me. We go, we go another way. But thank God, Elisha knows who to go to. He goes to the Lord. And verse 34, notice what he does. He went up and he lay 
upon the child. Again, you'll have to forgive me, but think about, think about that. Think about doing that. I mean, I've never been inclined to go uh, to uh, a funeral, and when the casket comes out, jump up there and, and lay on that dead corpse. I mean, think about that. Here is Elisha. He goes in this room. There's a dead boy there. And it's not like in the movies, you know, where everything looks pristine and wonderful. I mean, this is a, it's a bad thing. As a preacher, I'm close to death. I see when people die. And I've, I've seen that look. And it's, it's a rough thing. And so he lays and he stretches himself upon the child. I want you to notice that, that as he stretches upon the child, that's an uncomfortable thing. That's a position that you're vulnerable in when you stretch. In the work of God, we stretch and we do things and we're dealing with people and we're dealing with people that are dead in trespasses of sins. And we, we stretch ourselves out and we put ourselves in a position where it's easy to, to, you know, get a knife in the ribs, if you know what I mean. I watched my dad for years stretch out and help people only to be hurt. And yet he stretches on them and he says, you know, I'm trying to uh, give, give my life for theirs. I'm trying to warm them up. Here's this cold flesh, and, 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 and we see what he does. It says that he, and put his mouth upon his mouth. He gives life-giving breath to this dead boy, and he's getting nothing in return. The boy's dead. The boy is lifeless. Again, charity, the Bible talks about giving and not expecting anything in return. And sometimes I wonder how we're doing. I look at myself and I say, I give sometimes, but I'm expecting. I'm expecting results. I'm expecting that when I, and I don't think there's wrong that we ex expect results, but to be aggravated and, and, and to give up because when we give breath, it doesn't come right back or we don't get anything in return. Here is a selfless giving. He's stretching himself. He's in a vulnerable position. He's giving life breath for, for nothing in return. Next, the Bible says, and his eyes upon his eyes. And he's looking into the eyes of death. And he's looking into cold, glazed over eyes, seeing that there's nothing there. And there's no life there. And there's nothing to be desired there. But he's doing that. And he's given of himself. The Bible says, and his hands upon his hands. And he puts his hands upon that dead boy's hands. Cold, lifeless, a human touch. If we're ever going to impact our world, if we're ever going to touch people in our community, we're going to have to get a little uncomfortable at times. We're going to have to take our touch and touch their lives, even though it's uncomfortable, even though they're cold, they're dead in trespasses of sins. We've got examples here of people touching lives and bringing people to church, a personal, a human touch. How can we reach a world we never touch? You know, sometimes uh, we just get so disconnected from people, and sometimes we, 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 we're here at church on Sunday, but then when we get out, you know, wherever we're, we get to, at the store or wherever, we seem like we're disconnected from people. And the example here this morning is 
to stretch out, to, to look at their eyes, to see what is inside them, to touch them in a way, uh, to give what we have. We have life, and, and, and they have, you know, we have, we have the cure, if you will. And God can use us if we'll touch him. And the Bible says, and he stretched himself upon the child. And notice what the Bible says here. After all of that, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. And some may say, well, that's good. We made some progress. But if I was Elisha, and I came all that way, and the staff was laid on him, and I stretched out, and I did all these uncomfortable things, and all that happened was the flesh of the child waxed warm, I would think, that's it. That's all I get for all of that discomfort, all of what I have done. The child just waxed warm. I'm looking for life. And sometimes we don't, we don't see that God is working. We're witnessing to somebody. We're praying for somebody, and God is working. But yet all we see is just this little bit. You know, uh, your preacher's been here, and, and I, I know how it is uh, just being a preacher's son and seeing what happens when, when a man of God works and works and prays and seems to work with people, and people come and people go, and all this happens, and it seems like all that happens is it just waxed warm. All we seen was just a little bit. We put out all this effort to have this big day, and, and it was a good day, but all it was was just like it waxed warm. And notice what happens here. I believe there's some thinking going on here. Because I believe that, uh, that the Bible says that, you know, here he is. He stretches upon himself. But the Bible says that, you know, he returned and walked in the house to and fro. And you see Elisha, after this situation, he's kind of pacing back and forth. And I, and I often wonder, what is, he, what is he doing? What is he doing pacing back and forth? What is he doing? And I believe he's thinking and he's saying, what do I do now? I did all of this, and what do I do now? And I believe there's a moment of decision in our life that makes us or breaks us, a moment of decision between greatness, a moment of decision between success and failure. And let's be honest, if you've stretched out, if you've been uh, you know, stabbed in the ribs, if you've been hurt, the tendency is not to stretch out again. You know, I, I read a lot of World War II uh, history, and, and uh, I follow up on that, even in your country. And uh, I've been reading a lot. We just had uh, uh, June was, was the anniversary of D-Day, and, and I know a lot of World War II veterans, and I, and I talk to them often, and we compare stories. And I, and I ask them what won the war, and I ask them what, you know, how they did what they did. I was reading a story uh, most recently about Pegasus Bridge right here in, in your country, or that was in France, I'm sorry, but the, the guys that attacked Pegasus Bridge, uh, uh, Bridge were British, or English, mostly. Um, and uh, they were from the 6th Airborne Division. I don't know if you're familiar with that. But uh, they, they had a, a group of the Airborne that were called Oxen Bucks. And, uh, you know, Major John Howard, and he was uh, D Company. And, and these guys are the guys that were the first in to, to Normandy. They were the first soldiers that touched down on that great invasion day. 
They came in those gliders, those wooden gliders. Who would ever fly in one of them things? I have no idea. I mean, they said even on every training mission, they got sick. I mean, they got real sick. <laughs> every training mission, not, not, you know, like the flyers that got sick on, on D-Day up in the, in the planes, like the airborne and the paratroops. These guys were sick just in the training missions, and they, and they were all around Exeter and all that. And, and many of the house-to-house uh, training things they did right here in, in Birmingham. I, I, I've read about it. And, uh, but these were the best of the best. These were a crack unit. Major John Howard was the guy that led them in. And, and they did a phenomenal job. They, they landed those, those horses. They jumped out. Men, men jumped out. Some of them were, had gashes on their heads. Some of them were knocked out. Some of them were put clean through those things. When they landed, one of them broke right in half and spilled those guys all over. And yet they took the bridge, and they did all kinds of feats that you would never think that anyone would possibly do. I think of the 101st and, and some of our units, the 82nd Airborne, and, and those guys, they, they paratrooped in. And, and uh, many of them, you see them doing things like getting up in a tree in the middle of a battle, bullets and tracers flying everywhere, and they're spotting for the field artillery. And, and you think, what in the world? And they said, we just did it. We were put into this position. We had no time to think. We just reacted, and we did it. And sometimes that's what happens in the work of God. You get saved, you get in the ministry, uh, you witness to your, your friends and your relatives, and you just do it because it's just, it's just what happens. But then all of a sudden, a hurt. All of a sudden, a comrade gets shot. All of a sudden, you see your buddy, you know, his legs blown off. And you see people that you love and you care about just get destroyed. And that's the way it is in life. You see things happen. You get hurt. And then what those veterans tell me, they said, it wasn't D-Day. It wasn't the first day out that made the difference in the war. They said, when we got into the Battle of the Bulge and we got into these other places later in France and in Belgium, they said, every engagement was harder. Every time, because now I know. When I went the first time out, I'm up in the tree. I'm not thinking about, I'm invincible. I can't be hurt. We're going to win. But then all of a sudden, I, we start getting hurt. And all of a sudden, you know, I, had, I was in the hospital because, you know, I got wounded. I talked to one vet. He said, I laid in the snow six hours. And they took me to the hospital finally. They finally found me. It was a miracle that I lived. But then he had to go back in the line. And he said, the thought of going over that hill now and thinking, this is going to happen to me, it's hard. And this morning, when we're talking about Elisha stretching himself out, it's, it's, it's hard enough to stretch out the first time. And if you're here this morning and you've never stretched, if you've never taken a hill, if you've never jumped in the line, you need to jump in the line to get something done for the, for, for the Lord. But to those that have been around a while, to those maybe that have stretched out, to those maybe have given to the building fund, to those that have been out on visitation and had uh, things happen, it's harder and harder. It gets harder and harder to stretch out again. But what those vets told me, they said, it was those men, the veterans, that won the war. It was those, because we knew how to stay low. We knew how to tell those 90-day wonders, those new lieutenants would come in, and they think they know everything, and they'd be dented in a couple of months because they, they, they didn't have the experience that we had. And we watched them do like what we were doing on D-Day. 
But it was those veterans that are, they're thinking, I don't want to, I don't want to go over the hill. I don't want to get out of this foxhole, but knew that they had to. Knew that they, the other ones were going to watch them and, and knew that they had some leadership. It was because they kept pressing on us, because they stretched out again that we won the war. And I'm telling you this morning, I don't know where you're at this morning. You may be someone that's never been born again. You've never had that peace of God in your life. You may have come into the church, and, and it doesn't always happen the same way with every person. I think personality has a lot to do with it. Sometimes you get in church and you get saved, and you're just, you know, you kind of go through slow. Some of you get into church, you get saved, and boom, you get on fire for God, and you're like the guy jumped up in the tree, you know, and, and doing all this crazy stuff. But then the tendency is to go cold. The tendency is to draw back and say, hey, I put myself out once. They would come to my dad. We, we, we had a, a guy that uh, my dad took in. This guy, he was, uh, we call him carnies back home. They work in the carnivals, and they, they live a rough lifestyle. But he came, and my dad tried to help him, and he helped him, and, and he helped him set up a, a, a mechanic shop, and they worked on all these cars. My dad said, you could use my tools. My dad had a, many mechanic tools. And the guy took all my dad's tools and, you know, locked the doors on the shop and never came to church again. And, and, and you think, what in the world? And people would come to my dad and say, preacher, don't help these people. Don't help this person. Because you're going to get what? You're going to get hurt. And, and, and my dad would say, I got to stretch out again. I got to love again. When you're hurt, you don't want to love again. You don't want to stretch out again. But I'm telling you, I'm challenging you this morning. I hope you get the message this morning. You can make a difference. The ones that have been hurt, the ones that have been through it, you have more of a real sense of things. You can guide people. We're talking about the church this morning. This church, young people, some people that have some fire, but we all got to work together. We need that young blood to say, let's go. And we need that wisdom to say, get down, (laughs) so you're not going to get your head shot off. But that's the way the work of God is. He puts us together for a reason. Let me bow in a word of prayer, and I just want to ask you a few questions and challenge you this morning. Dear Lord, I pray that you just bless now, Lord. We're going to just have a verse of invitation. And and Lord, um, as we take just a moment here, Lord, I pray that folks would just search their hearts. And and Lord, uh, just do as uh, you'd have them to do. Lord, we've... we've, uh, been challenged from your word, and Lord, we've got great examples of people that just kept rising up like David and others. And Lord, I pray that we would meet that challenge. Thank you for the example of Elisha, and Lord, what he did, and Lord, um, that uh, victory was was won. And uh, Lord, I'm thankful that he stretched out again, and Lord, that we've seen that child raised up, that he was, he was, he was made alive, and Lord, a success. And, Lord, he stuck in it long enough to see that. Help us, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the preacher to come in a minute, but I just want to just maybe look at you this morning. And it's very important when we hear a message like this that we just don't go away and think, well, that was a challenging message, and don't do nothing about it. I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning, um, you know, um, but I'm, I am going to ask you to make some decisions and some commitments in your mind. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, what, you, what that preacher said was right. I need to do this. 
I need to do that. I witnessed to someone before, they just waxed warm. But I know the Lord told me I need to go see him again. Make a commitment in your heart and say, Lord, by your grace, I will do that this week. I will do what you told me to do. That's what invitation's about, to actually put our feet to what we've learned. We need to, we're responsible now for what we've heard. We've got to, we've got to, you know, to who much is given, much is required. We've already talked about how much has been given you, but consider these things, amen. 